Well, I need to start with a confession. It's always embarrassing as a minister to admit things like this. But I am still discovering passages in the Bible. Now, I know this happens, but I feel like as a minister, as many times as I've been through Scripture, I should recognize it all by now. But there is a story tucked away in Second Chronicles, which I recognize none of us are experts in, but a story tucked away in Second Chronicles that really helps me understand the parable of the Good Samaritan in a way that I think, how did I not know this? So I'll just confess I didn't, but I need to share it with you. So Well, nobody really cares about the history of ancient Israel. Could you give me 90 seconds on this? Can everybody stay with me for 90 seconds and not let your eyes glaze over? I promise this will help. So after Solomon dies, the nation of Israel splits in two. The nation is a long, narrow nation, is today, was then, and it splits north and south. Think of a situation much like uh, Vietnam in the 60s or Korea since the 50s. And it's essentially the same people, but they are often at war with one another, north and south. Occasionally they are allies, but usually at war. And in 2 Chronicles 28, there is a story of a battle, and it must have been a doozy. Over 100,000 troops from the south are killed. 200,000 now widows and orphans are forced marched from the battle site to the capital of the northern kingdom to become slaves. 200,000 widows, children. Can you imagine The weeping, can you imagine the anguish of mothers as they are trying to carry children and pull them, trying to have something that they might provide for their children? There are essentially only two seasons in Israel. There is the rainy, wet season, in which case if if it were then, then they would be subject to hypothermia. And if it's the hot season, then they are out for days under this hot, baking sun. Can you imagine trying to comfort your children on a 50-mile forced march towards slavery? But when they get back to the capital, the army is met by a prophet and some leaders, uh, some political leaders who come out and say, we can't do this. We cannot hold our own kin people as slaves. So you have to take them back. But they are in such pitiful condition that before they can take them back, they have to clothe them. They have to feed them and give them water. They have to bind up their wounds and they are so weak, they have to set them on donkeys to get them back. And then they take them back south to repatriate them. Now, there's two things I haven't told you about this. 
The capital city of the northern kingdom was called Samaria. And the place where they take them back south is Jericho. So 800 years before Jesus tells the parable, you have a story of Samaritans who bind up wounds, feed, clothe, put them on donkeys, and take them to Jericho. Now, where was the man in the parable going? He was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And Jesus, being such a uh, knowledgeable person in the Scripture, Jesus surely must have known this. So I don't think the parable of the Good Samaritan is just created out of thin air. But the lawyer, who is basically a a Bible scholar, a Bible scholar comes to him and says, Oh, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, Well, you're the expert. You tell me. What do you read? Well, love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, You got it. Go and do it. Well, that just... uh, infuriates him a little bit because he wanted a little more engaging conversation with Jesus. He needed something a little more philosophical. Well, uh, Master, who is my neighbor? And I can almost see Jesus thinking, you really don't want to ask that. You really don't want to ask that question, do you? So he says, well, I'll tell you, there was a man who was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He falls among thieves. He's left for dead. They robbed all of his clothes because clothes were often the thing of most value that some people had. And uh, two of the most religious people in Judaism come by, pass on the other side of the road, and do nothing. And then along comes a Samaritan. And the Samaritan binds up his wounds, clothes him, feeds him, puts him on his donkey, and takes him to an inn and pays for his care and says, I'll come back and if he needs anything else, I'll pay the bill. Now, do you see the parallel in this story? To me, well, and let me just also say, Jesus says, who proved to be a neighbor? And there is such animosity 800 years later that the teacher of the law can't even say Samaritan. It's like it's going to stick in his throat. So he says, well, I guess the one who showed mercy to him. Because he can't say the word. And I think Jesus is as good as saying, yeah, for over 800 years, Samaritans have known who their neighbors were. What's your problem? How come you got to ask this question? You don't know who your neighbor is? They've known for 800 years. And you don't even think they're chosen people. And here you're the chosen people, and you are an expert in the law, and you don't know your neighbor? 
I imagine Jesus' uh, stare was pretty withering in that moment. For 800 years, Samaritans have known who their neighbors are. What's your problem? So it's February. Today's Valentine's Day. Everybody loves everybody. Love your neighbor, like it says on the cover of the worship folder today. Last week, we really focused on global missions, and Amy gave him a great testimony about that today, and I hope you have given. There are things that we do collectively with other Baptists we cannot do ourselves, and that's why we give to that offering. But as we come to this week, we begin to also pull in a little bit, and we begin to look closer to home. We begin to look at the things that we do around here. And we need to stop and think about who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor that I need to love? Now, I will tell you, when it comes to global missions, sometimes I think it is easier to love souls who are far away, who don't come clothed in the inconvenience of being in my way, or perhaps even being different than I am, that I might have to help. I'd really like to pray for the people who do this work, and I'd really like to send a check, but please don't ask me to have to get out of the car and do something. But this is the way our neighbor comes. We don't get the neighbor we want. We get the neighbor God gives us. And the key to following Jesus Christ is recognizing who is my neighbor in the moment that the neighbor God gives appears to us. And then doing what is necessary to love that person. Too often we think about local missions and local work as uh, I don't, I don't have time for that. I well, no, I'm I'm a little intimidated by doing that. So I'll let I'll let those missions people do it. You know, there's always those people in our Sunday school class or in the deacons or choir, wherever it is. Well, you know, they're mission people. They do that sort of thing. Not me. I think if we could turn what we're thinking about doing from being missionaries, whether it's far or close, to being people who share the life of God with others. How do we let that moment pass? How do we let the moment pass and think, I, God has shared life with me through Jesus Christ, and now how do I think I'm too inconvenienced to share that life with someone else. We're called upon, those of us who have received, we are called upon to share. 
And from the time that Samaria first became a country until the time that Jesus told the parable was 800 years. And during that time, Samaritans always knew who their neighbors were and what they needed to do. So why not us? Shall we pray together? Oh God, place in front of us someone today. Place in front of us someone that needs a neighbor. Give us the courage and the commitment to step forth and to share your life with them and be a neighbor too. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.